This program was produced with the support of StoryHive, creativity connected by TELUS. For more information, please visit storyhive.com. What do you want your audience to hear? The intention for me is to create a container that allows people to share their stories on the creative path, the mystery and all the uncovering that happens with that. Maybe they'll inspire people or maybe they'll just help them see from from their perspective. I would say in a nutshell. (laughs) Welcome to Resilient Creatives, a podcast that explores the role of creativity in our society. My name is Chantal Solomon. I am a mixed race artist and community herbalist. Through my practice, I explore remediating the connection between people and the natural world. This season, I'm talking with artists about their creative practice and the hurdles and triumphs along their journey. My English name is Lindsay Delarone, and I am Gunyakahaga from Gahnawage which is uh, located in the province of Quebec. And I've been residing, living, working, raising my family and being an artist on the Kwangan territory um, for the last 14 years. Can you tell me about your art practice and how you identify as an artist? When I say artistry, for me, I mean discipline and a rigor and to learn how to be a receptor to be able to transform and to become malleable in space to access the information that we don't see in the physical and really removing that Western colonial framework of what artist is and what it means. Being human is so much of being an artist. You know, the way that we do our hair, the way that we dress, the way that we walk, It's all these ingrained ways of life and living. It's refreshing to hear your perspective. You know, depending on how we were raised, Western culture may dominate the way that we move through the world and in ways that we don't even recognize. And I feel that that can influence our creations. I know for me, there's often been a tension between traditional teachings and the way that art is presented in modern times. How does your cultural background influence your art practice? In Ganyakahaga culture, my sister was telling me that our sacred number is actually three because you have the, the strong binary, the dichotomy, the, the opposition. And the third is the divinity, is the sacred, is the spiritual. And it breaks the dichotomies, I think, of life while embracing a third entity or realm that I think creates multidimensional ways of looking and seeing things. So we are all in a creative place every day, if we accept it or not, if we pick it up or not, if we nurture it or not, if it goes stagnant and it dies. These are all of these decisions and choices that we have in our lives to um, move towards creativity um, because that's natural law. Natural law and the law of the universe just wants more life. It wants to see life in billions of different perspectives. And being an artist allows me to play, discover, rediscover, claim, reject, um, challenge reality. 
reality as I perceive it, reality as it's presented through media, social media, news, newspaper, all of these ways that we're conditioned as human beings to say, this is the truth. This is real. And so as an artist, I think I, I separate myself from those pressures and those conditions and, t- and start to say, what part of that truth is true for me? Because anything that we see and perceive outside of ourselves and we bring it into consciousness and we bring it into form can be activated at any point of time. And so this way of being is really something that I've integrated in, in everything. It doesn't need to be understood by others. I think that's one big key factor in really claiming your artistry is you don't need to and I don't need to um, justify that. How did you develop your practice? Was it something that you cultivated on your own or did you have formal training? I started art school when I was 16 years old. So very institutional in my training and my thinking. Started off at Dawson College in Montreal and the fine arts department. I did two years there and then moved to uh, Vancouver where I did a bachelor's degree of fine arts and then eventually moved to here, Victoria, where I did a master's in fine arts. So to me, that was my path that I chose because I've watched my uncle very much immersed in the art world as a, as a curator, as an Indigenous curator. And there was always this sophistication, a prestige almost. There's a falsity in that. So in the beginning stages of my life, really recognizing that, you know, being Indigenous, we're imposed about what success means for us. And... Part of that I bought into strongly, you know, go to go to school, get my degrees. Looking at my journey now, I'm just starting to recognize that that's something that I've always rejected as well. I've never really been heavily immersed into the institution or the institutional way of thinking. So artistry in a way that is very personal, very sacred, the validation comes within And then the external relationship to artistry, the mentorship and the relationships, the collaborations, the sharing. Each and every person that I've worked with has their own school of thought. And that's so interesting when you start to collaborate and work with other artists. And so that's sort of my background of how I see where I've been trained and where I've been educated and where I've also had to just reject all of that and go straight inward. You're reminding me of, uh, I came up with like a a little saying for myself when I've met my different boundaries and I'll just say to myself, I'm an artist. I can do what I want. I've had to challenge my own thoughts and way of being and what I thought I was supposed to be in the world or what an artist was supposed to be. For me, when I started to actually feel comfortable calling myself an artist, it gave me such a freedom. I didn't realize that was waiting for me, you know, it's like I had touched on it, but I had viewed art and the certain way of what you see in galleries or, you know, this idea that seemed far away from where I was and I wasn't in those certain social circles or these different things. So I couldn't be an artist. But when I started to be able to call myself that and, and own that and what that meant for me personally, yeah, I just felt so much more comfortable in myself. Being an artist has saved my life. Growing up, you know, it was it was challenging. It was really challenging. And so a lot of us experienced difficult childhoods. I always had the land to uh, revert back to for this place of safety and comfort and just be home and cut and tape 
and pin and mark and all of these actions, all of these gestural actions, I was very drawn to as a, as a young child. Um, anything to make with the hands and within that way of life and living, art materials became a security blanket for me as well. Anytime we would go anywhere, even if I didn't use it. And still to this day, I have to bring either a a book, a sketchbook, a box of beads, uh, something that I can go to. It is my go-to. It is something that I think has always been there for me. It's never rejected me. It's always accepted me and it's always held my pain without judgment. So art for me has really been that platform and that space, that very sacred space where I feel confident. I feel free. I feel like there's liberation in in that. And I remember how that started to change for myself as a teenager, because when you're growing up as a teenager, your bodies are changing. You're comparing yourself a lot to other young women, all of that type of sort of mental obsession. And that social conditioning was very strong for me. And I struggled a lot because, you know, the way that I grew up, I mean, I had a lot of good, good, solid gems that help me to be successful today. And I've also had these really very dark crevices in my upbringing that has made my adolescence very challenging and into my 20s you know, some of my 30s for sure that are still unraveling and really always having to go back to that same statement. Well, that person might have this, this, this and this, but I'm an artist. And it was something that like nobody could ever take from me, no matter what decisions that I was making in my life for people to perceive me a certain way. It was always coming back down to at least I have my art. Spirituality and art and healing have been very intertwined in my practice. Did you have a moment that helped you realize and define yourself as an artist? Or was it something that just organically emerged over time? One of my very first critiques, I was 16 years old in a drawing class and I did this collage of these photocopied photos of my family. And I drew all these masks on top, just quite gestural and kind of free flowing. And in this critique, I remember my teacher saying, so tell us about this, this work. And I remember this overwhelming feeling, that same feeling when you're going to share a story. These stories are cleansing stories. They're, they're fueled with emotion in your cells and they get activated. And now you have this adrenaline pumping through your body. And there's this purification, this purgation and this cleansing that wants to come out. And within the institution, they are not trained or know how to hold space for those types of stories. And so there's a discrepancy there. There's a, there's a separation from this prestige, from this Western colonial way of making art. And then there's the artists that are at the mercy of fitting into this context. And there is a divide, there's a separation. And I remember having this overwhelming story of my family and feeling this cleansing And I stepped back and I thought, this is my path. I never thought about selling my work. That was never really an intention for me. From that experience, I really knew that this was the way that I needed to live, period. It was going to keep me alive. It was going to keep me well. And it was something that I had to take really seriously. And it allows me to navigate this reality in any way I choose. And it's powerful. 
what would you say to that it's a thought or like it's a construct that we have to equate being able to make money with being an artist versus the path that you chose where it seemed very clear to you that that's what it wasn't about? Well, I think it's still a struggle because all of my income comes through some sort of creative avenue in some ways, but it becomes secondary where I, if I just really get honest, I think that when we can really see our value, when we really put in the time in this craftsmanship and this discipline, we are able to attract things that sustain us, whether it be good relationships, um, healthy food, uh, positive thinking, you know, and so the more that I sort of invest in that inner work and keep cleansing and purifying and letting go and being in the present, you know, there is financial gains that, that manifest. And so each of us have a choice. So being an artist and making art is, is one thing, you know, uh, being an educator is another thing. Uh, if you want to go on to be um, in the commercial scene, all of them have different unique skills, entrepreneur, communication, promotion, marketing. If you want to, or if I want to just, you know, uh, be a creative person on a, on the weekend after I finish work and I want to, you know, pick up some beads or do some paint or whatever it is. And, and my central nervous system is calmed, you know, in that moment. And that's why I do it. There's a reprieve. There's a deep relaxation that happens. Um, time stops, stressors diminish. So using art as a way of not this stagnation or this definition. And I think that some of also, it creates problems for us or, or the self-created roadblocks when we define what our artistry looks like, you know? And so these imposed labels that become sort of projected onto us is something I think that we also have to reject as well. You know, people say that to me a lot. Well, you know, you're a performance artist now. And it's like, I didn't say that. I'm just an artist. Yeah, I, I ask because I know that that's something that a lot of people struggle with because they equate their time with money. You know, so, so many people are trained that way from a young age. This is how I have to spend eight hours of my day is making money, you know. So if there isn't a direct correlation, then I think that a lot of people struggle with that. It's a path. There's different pathways. Your pathway is very unique. My pathway is very unique. And on the way that we carve these paths, we all pick up these very unique skills. And when we come together, it's really about sharing. You know, if anybody is stuck in that sort of blockage of that pathway of what to do next, what are you really passionate about? That's something that a big question comes up to me when I'm asked to make a work. I just did a performance on Saturday. And a couple of weeks ago, when I started this process, I thought to myself, what is it that I really want to say? What is the message that I really need to be a catalyst for? And so I've learned about, you know, this reception and being a receptor through indigenous uh, Kuna Rapahanic uh, theater artist, Monique Mojica. And she talks about being a receptor, you know, that we are a vessel and there's these messages from the invisible. You could call it spirituality, divinity, whatever people call it. And we are here in this lifetime to raise the vibration of the people. And so I think artwork really challenges this sort of physicality, this three-dimensional reality and this existence. 
And it really, I think, dissolves the hardness and firmness of this physical world. And it creates more of an abstraction or a reduction of something where you actually can see essence. And so artistry for me is about finding that essence. But in order to find the essence, it's quieting those con- the social conditions. And we have to take the responsibility and be accountable, you know, to doing the inner work. So for me, they parallel because the places and spaces within myself that have not been attended to are not witnessed or validated in a way that I need to do that purgation and cleansing. That's, that's the work that I want to do. I want to keep letting go. And I, and I know for sure. And I know for a fact that I'm not alone because when you do that type of work, it's naturally going to repel and it's naturally going to attract, you know, I'm not on any type of social media platform right now. And I thought, wow, I really am invisible. If you're not in the internet, social media world, you don't really exist. And so the existence of your presence really relies on this virtuality. And for me, I just, I find, I find that virtuality dialogue and discussion, I I can't enter. I have a hard time to um, understand words on a page. If I can't see a person and look in their eyes and be with them and, you know, see the light reflected on their skin and to watch their body and their posture. That's one of the struggles that I'm facing now, but it's also helping me to say, if people really are interested in the work, they'll, they'll come to find you like this experience right now, naturally and organically attract the people that you need that is in alignment with your vibrational um, state of mind, body and being. And so art has that power to really help us change our vibrational states. And a lot of us are activated in that central nervous system constantly in flight, fight and freeze paralysis, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to think, not knowing what to draw that blockage. They called it that creative block. And so we need to confront it with bravery. It's all about confrontation. My work is 100% about confrontation, confrontation and conflict. And without this struggle, without this tension, it's like the, the chrysalis before that caterpillar emerges into a butterfly, it's embracing struggle, not it being a blockage as a challenge that you can't overcome, but it's created for us to actually break through. And in order to break through, you need to break through internally. You need to deconstruct, dismantle, decay. And so this idea of death is really important in my work. Because in death becomes rebirth. Naturally, as an empath, that was something that I did a lot was absorb the present, absorb the emotions of others, absorb the struggles of others. I'm recognizing that that struggle for myself is a gift, but it also has created a lot of um, stress. So as artists, how do we care for ourselves? I think that's a big one, you know, along with the blockages, the challenges are there for a reason. And the only way to get to the other side is that death of an idea. So there's an idea of artistry and craft that is very much about being present with the work and having conversation. All, all you're doing is receiving, you know, these artists that are in this sort of complicated thinking that they are the one that is creating is one way of being an artist. 
But for me as an indigenous artist, it's really connected to that spirituality and that spiritual way of life and living and knowing deeply that I am here for a reason and that my ancestors and my spirit guides and the invisibility of these realities are always trying to tell me something. If we get praised for our work, that can become a pressure on people or maybe an unhealthy relationship with their practice if they're looking for that validation. When you're talking about the online world, I think that that happens a lot where it's like, how many likes did I get or what have you? And people start to feel their value based off of that. Just a concept that, you know, we've been exploring, I think, as a as a culture for the last few years of like, what, what does that mean? And what are the effects of that? So it's really interesting to hear you say like, oh, I don't I don't exist because I'm not on the on the Internet. But if someone is able to actually be present with yourself and to witness you, you exist in that moment and you exist in that, you know, that relationship between yourself and, and the audience and in the land and everything. And people will, they remember that, you know, that we remember experiences, I think, a lot more than we see so many images online in the day, right? It's like, oh yeah, I saw this cool artist. I can't remember what their name was, you know, we mix things up because there's just too much information. It's powerful what you're saying too about the cleansing and like absorbing other people's stuff. But I think it also happens online. Like I feel like sometimes when I spend too much on time online that it's like I need to I need to move my body. I need to express because it's like this buildup of, of energy. I feel like it's, it's a new part of this era that we're in right now of being able to express everything that's going on because we're just having so much more input into ourselves. I think it's hard on us. I think it's hard on our nervous systems. And I think that that's one thing that in my own practice, and I think other people can relate to is that if we actually just take some time to be with ourselves, to be with, you know, simple as paper and pen, or maybe it's just, yeah, moving our body in nature a little bit, I think can be really nourishing. Absolutely. Yeah. If you think of any sort of native, indigenous, aboriginal, ancient way of life and living, it was immersed in ritual the way that people wake up in the morning and the, and the way that people go to sleep it's all about these rituals that we implement into our everyday lives for cleansing we are so sensitive we are very tender and we forgot about that the tenderness the innocence the purity the gentle you know the compassionate and so i feel like my work has to also integrate those types of values in order for it to, to land, you know, it has to create a sense of vulnerability. And sometimes that's really hard in the virtual world. In 2017 to 19, I was the very first Indigenous artist in residence for the city of Victoria. And in that type of position in the responsibilities and the roles and what I was accountable to was really heavy. And because I was the first, you don't have a template. You don't have anybody uh, before you to say, hey, how did you do this? And, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself. In two years, I developed 18 projects, not just singular projects, but collaborations from anywhere to two to 40 people. And I found myself at the end of the two years really broken. The criticism was hard, the critiques, the lack of understanding, feeling misunderstood. Not everybody values artists. People don't want to give their taxpayers money to art. And so I was stuck in this sort of uh, colonial institution, City Hall, 
a non-arts organization. And there were struggles there, but there was also a lot of learning. At the end of the two years, I was very proud of the work that we accomplished. I got to work with many, many people, amazing people. I've learned so much. And so two years away from that position, I'm still not back together. But it was in that accepting of that brokenness, the idea of who you think you need to be as an artist, the type of work that you need to continue to do to have those likes and have that success. And actually, I think for any artist, musician that has that type of pressure and that sort of lifestyle, it crushes you from the inside. Where I'm at now is a lot of healing work, a lot of going back into the essence, the discipline, the rigor. And then finding my voice, which is the hardest pathway, because the mental is so powerful. The ego is so powerful. But to come back down into your heart and to come back into an emotional place of that compassion and purity, you have to abandon, you have to reject and you have to have a spiritual death in order to have a a reawakening again. And being an artist is all about that. All artists that I know are either in a decomposing, a decaying, a complete oblivion, or they're in the light. That enlightenment is happening for us. And so I think we need to be really gentle as we work with one another who, you know, their head might be up against that brick wall and the other artist is floating. Just as in natural law, everything has a time and a place to be seen and visible. When you think about when a bud blossoms into a flower, it has its moment, but it also wilts, recedes, goes back into the darkness, goes back into the earth and that compression and that pressure. It's painful, but it's also, I think, a pain that is manageable if we are conscientious about what stage and phase we are at. It could feel very fearful as an artist too. I think we could feel a lot of fear and we need to trust, deeply, deeply trust that this is the way that we're choosing. This is the way of life and living that we've been born into these bodies, whatever body you're in, whatever it looks like, whatever capacity, what is in your mind? How do you actually manifest that and bring it to form? Anything in our consciousness is invisible. There's so much in the invisibleness, all of the matter and the atoms and atmosphere. We bring that and conjure that into form. And so that's the artistry for me. Whatever comes to me in my mind, whatever is downloaded, whatever is gifted, whatever is offered, whatever emerges through this death and decaying, there's a crack of light that's going to happen. And the inspiration will come and you will be in the flow once again, you know, and it's a spiral. It spirals up or it spirals down, but it's always in motion, just like this earth. It's always in motion. And really, I think successful artists that sort of repel and attract people naturally, it's really, I think, healthy to have that tension. Rivalry, not in a sense of competition, but We do inspire each other. Absolutely. I'm inspired by so many artists, so many people. That's my way of responding and appreciating is really about receiving. And I allow that receiving to happen and it propels that inspiration forward. 
You have to value yourself. You have to know that the alchemy that you bring into any material or any context is special and unique. And we are only responsible for our perception, our perceived reality. And how do we creatively work in spaces together amongst one another in parallel with one another where that deep respect is there and that healthy rivalry that really, I think, promotes inspiration and innovative thought. Yeah, we could all use more innovative thoughts that take natural law into consideration. And that deep respect that you speak of for our fellow creatives. Because it feels so vital to me in these times to encourage people to be creative and to be creative myself so that we can all walk in a good way, in a way that takes the best of traditional knowledge forward, but also coming up with new inventions and things that we need to make our world more sustainable and healthy. And even as you say, to just inspire people. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today, Lindsay. I really appreciate you sharing your stories and the different insights that you've gathered on your career thus far. And I hope it continues to be an inspiring and fruitful experience for you. This program was produced with the support of TELUS.